Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday people share real and personal stories. Some are profound and challenging, while others are more common and relatable, shared with honesty and humor. But all of these stories reveal what God can do in our lives when we trust Him with the details. Thanks for joining us. Hi, everyone. This is your host, Kelly, from the Storytellers Live team. On each episode, you'll hear a different woman share her story of God's transforming love. These stories are recorded in a live setting at weekly local gatherings, where we're aiming to build community through sharing, connecting, and encouraging one another. Most importantly, these stories reveal the faithfulness of God and how He can take what's ordinary and broken and exchange it for extraordinary and redeemed. Today's story is shared by Stacy. When her kids were young, her husband received a cancer diagnosis, and she discovered the importance of finding God in each moment, which is not always easy or natural. Instead of trying to barrel through every circumstance and tackle the challenges all on her own, which was her nature, I loved her reminder of how much it takes off of us when we rely on Him. That difficult season also helped Stacy trade her lifelong need for perfection for a desire to see His will play out in her life, regardless of how messy or difficult or different it might look. The cancer journey is a big part of Stacy's story, but she also shares so much more, including why she says yes to opportunities that scare her, how she recognizes the Lord's peace when life is chaotic, and when holding onto your dreams becomes unhealthy. There's so much to hear and learn from. Here's Stacy. Okay, so I'm gonna like pretend like I don't know anybody in this room so that I can like have some calmness and some collection here. Um, you know, as I've been praying about sharing today, um, you know, I don't really mind talking in front of people. Like that's something that doesn't stress me out. But for some reason, this is just like really like nauseous nerves stressing me out. And I don't know why, but I, I do know that it just led me to pray um, that, that this would be his story and not mine. And so that's, that's my prayer through all of this. And my, um, my, my, I guess, redeeming thing is that I'm totally a work in progress. Like I do not have any of this figured out. I am not good at any of this yet. Um, but I just love his story of how he's taken my need for perfection, my need to please everybody else before him, and my need to just be laser focused on whatever my image is for what my life is supposed to look like into a just a desire and a craving to see his will come into my life. And so um, <laughs> when we went to lunch, I kind of, it was last spring, and I kind of thought, you know, maybe I, there's something about this setting that just when I, the first time that I came, like it just grabbed me. And um, I remember seeing it on social media, and I kind of just thought it was somebody's church. You know, I didn't know it was really, I didn't really know what it was. And I called my friend Lisa, and we did, you know, I came with her. I think maybe you had been a couple of times before, and it just really grabbed me. Like just something about the vulnerability and the ability to just create a connection in a community that I feel like as moms, or as adults, we don't always get. And um, it just really, I started listening to the podcast and I became like almost addicted to them. Every time I was in the car, every time I was doing something, I was listening to these podcasts and it just really rooted in my heart. And it, it helped me work through so many things that I didn't even realize I was working through. Um, and so when we talked last spring, I kind of thought, you know, maybe, maybe one day, you know, maybe one day I'll share. And um, I think it was over Christmas break or maybe a weekend, I was at home with the kids and a message came through 
from Robin, and I just kind of turned it over and, you know, just look at that later. I think we were playing a game or watching a movie, and, um, you know, later went into the next day or two, and then she sent me a message, and conveniently, she had gotten a new phone, and she was like, I just got a new phone, and I didn't know, did you get my message about storytellers? You probably use that line on everyone. <laughs> it's like, yes, I got it. And, um, you know, what is our response? I'm praying through it. I'm praying through it. Um, okay. And I just kind of thought my first initial reaction was, you know, like, I'm not there yet. Like, this story is not tied in a bow. We are not finished with it. It is, it is not there yet. Um, but then I kind of thought, goodness gracious, I might be 80 before it's tied in a bow. Um, because that's what we're always doing, right? Like, hopefully we're always growing and, and bettering ourselves with him and in our relationship with him. And then, y'all, this, I can't believe I'm going to say this. And if you're not a perfectionist and you don't have these people-pleasing tendencies, I'm, you know, you're going to see an inside of my brain. You're going to think I'm crazy. But if you are, you'll totally get it. So my next thought was... I'm more of a spring person. <laughs> I like the sunshine. Like, my toes don't like to be covered up. I mean, I wear open-toe shoes year-round. Like, the spring would be a much better time for me to share because I'll be more confident. It'll be good. And very distinctly, I heard God's voice saying, well, good thing this isn't about you. It's about me. So I was like, okay, so there's where the prayer came for it to be his story and not mine. And then this was over Christmas. And so I thought, you know, this is Alabama. By the end of February, it'll be sunny. It'll be warm. Like spring will be just around the corner. Clearly his story, not mine. So here we are in the middle of a monsoon. And, um, and I just, I feel so blessed by what he has shown me over the past six weeks as I've just kind of delved into all of this. So um, just to give you a little bit about my background, so I grew up in Huntsville, Alabama. I came here for college, Birmingham Southern. Um, I have one older sister who is almost five years older than me, so I was the baby. My mom has like four brothers and sisters. We had a huge family. I was the baby cousin for 13 years, so you would think I was like the sweet, nice one. No, I was like the wild, loud, obnoxious one that they probably all ran from, um, but I just always kind of had a spunk and a drive in me, and um, you know, sometimes that led me to things that weren't healthy and good for me, and sometimes that led me to, to be able to really dig in and do things that, that I can see now God was preparing me for later in life and things that I would have to do with. Um, my dad passed away when I was young, and so my mom was a single mom, and she built just a company from the ground up that completely and totally provided for us. Um, she worked a lot of long hours. She worked a long time after we went to bed. She had to miss a lot of stuff because she was the only one but, um, but she gave me, you know, if someone asks you, who's your hero or who do you look up to the most? I mean, hands down, she is that person for me. She gave me so much of who I am and, um, and I'm forever grateful for her and all the sacrifices she made for us. Because she worked, um, she found this sweet, sweet retired woman to start taking care of me when I was six weeks old, eight weeks old. And, um, you know, that, that family, her and her husband, um, I called them my mammy, my papa. They are really who instilled um, what I knew about the Bible in me. And I would go to church with them whenever she would have to travel. I went to vacation Bible school with them. And um, they just really poured into me a lot of the foundation that really my relationship with, with Christ would eventually come from. So I've always believed, like there's never been a time when I didn't believe. And I never, I kind of took that for granted, but a few months ago, God really showed me that that's a gift, that I've never wrestled with faith, but I totally didn't understand grace. I totally didn't understand um, a relationship. And I, I definitely didn't understand letting go or my control over to him. Like, you know, it was my, 
it was my my life, my world, and he was just kind of, you know, on the background. And I remember, um, this is a funny story, but I remember when I was little, little, like maybe eight or nine, I would fall asleep when I was saying my prayers at night. And um, I remember thinking, waking up in the morning and just being so petrified that if I fell asleep while I was praying and something happened in the middle of the night that, and I had not asked for forgiveness for whatever sins I had done that day, um, that I just, that that was it. I wouldn't go to heaven. And so that just gives you a glimpse of kind of where I was um, with my relationship with him and, and kind of, you know, even at that young of age, I kind of felt like it all was on my shoulders. It was up to me. Um, and then as I grew, I mean, I just was just laser focused. Like I was one of those people I would get an image in my mind or get something in my mind and like, you know, hell bent on making it happen. And, um, that I went through college that way. And, um, when I was a senior in college, my mom went through a surgery. It was a pretty routine surgery, but she, um, they, the surgeon clipped a network of arteries and veins in her pelvic area, and she bled out, almost died on the table, um, went through three months in the NICU, in the ICU, and um, that was just a moment where really we had to dig deep. I mean, you know, my dad had passed away when I was younger. It was my sister and I, um, and we were there. And it's so funny looking back and thinking about that now, because I can remember people coming and praying, and I can remember, um, you know, praying, but... Like, I think if something like that happened right now, like, I would just be living in the Word. I would be, you know, just not to be able to survive another minute without relying on God. And just to think about the contrast between then and and where where I am now in my relationship with Him. And, but, but yet I can see Him there, like, through all the mistakes that I made. I mean, just, He was always there, even though... Even though I wasn't, you know, doing what I needed to do to build a relationship with him or to learn to lean on him, just my belief, like that's the beautiful story. Like even just through my belief, he was always there. And looking back, I can see him taking care of my sister and I while mom was in the hospital and taking care of her. And, um, you know, she completely recovered and, and seeing him work through all of that, even though I wasn't as close to him as I am now is, is really um you know, it just kind of shows you that we strive for something more and we want something more with him, but really it's just, it's the belief that, that gives us him and that gives us our redemption. Um, and so I went through college, um, soon after college, I met my husband, Kelly, and, you know, he is just, I'm the, he's, he's the quiet calm for my craziness. And, um, he was exactly what I needed. I mean, God knew exactly what I needed for me to be able to trust and for me to be able to let go and trust him and give my heart to him. Um, he has just the security that I've always probably looked for losing my dad so young. Um, and that, that gift is what allowed me, I think, to, to give my heart to him. But from the beginning, I, I mean, looking back, there was a hole in my heart. There was a hole um, that, that wasn't filled because I didn't have a relationship with Jesus, and I didn't understand His grace, um, and I, I totally tried to fill that hole with with Kelly. I mean, I, I had these expectations of him to be what he can't be um, because he's human and not Jesus Christ, and that created a lot of friction. Like I wish I could go back and just just the things that I would tell myself, but um, but he was always there and always steadfast, and. Um, that, I think, is really where I figured out my need for perfection comes from. And some people may, may, you know, just have a heart for perfection and organization and all of those things. And for that, 
that is awesome. That is not me. But I tried to be perfect and I tried to please others and I tried to create this perfect existence to fill that hole that I felt because I didn't have that relationship with Christ. And so that's kind of how I lived my life. And I can remember praying and saying, God, if, if you would just give me like a bullet point list then we'd be good. Like, I would totally follow it. Like, I'm good at following directions. But, and so that was my way of saying, you know, I've got this. Sure, I'll do what you want me to do, but you just need to tell me so that I can make a plan and make it all work out. And then we'll, we'll be good, right? Because that's how it works. Um, and so we just kind of, you know, went along as normal. And um, after we had been married for about four or five years, I started to get the baby bug. I had just started a new job because that's the perfect time to... Um, <laughs> to try to have a baby. Oh, but I forgot to tell y'all this part. So the other thing that I, for some reason, somewhere around, I guess right after college, before we got married, I just started feeling pulled to adoption. Like I was in pharmaceutical sales and I would sit, I was calling on pediatricians at the time and I would sit in offices and whenever someone had an adoption story, like I just, I mean, I would sit there and be crying by the time I was called back to see the doctors. Like I just was so pulled to that. And so I got it in my brain that, um, God's plan for me was to adopt, that I wasn't going to be able to have kids. And I can remember after having a few glasses of wine telling Kelly that one night, and he was like, let's just do the first year of marriage thing first, and then we'll get there. And I was like, okay, but I'm just telling you, like, this is the plan. We're going to try to have kids. We're not going to be able to. God's placed adoption in my heart, and that's what we're going to do. And Okay. I mean, God bless him. He just steady, steady always. And um, so then, you know, as I'm thinking it's time to start having babies, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, because you know, really, it's going to take us a long time. We're probably not going to be able to get pregnant. So we'll just start trying now. And the first month, we were blessed to be expecting Patrick, who is, um, I don't think I said that in the beginning. Um, did I? Anyway, so Patrick is in seventh grade. He's 12. Um, and Elise, my daughter, is in fifth grade, and she's 11. So um, we found out we were expecting Patrick, and that was great. It was good. I mean, everything was great. Um, we moved here to Vestavia when I was eight months pregnant, which was lots of fun. But, you know, I had it in my mind. You're supposed to have a different house, move into a bigger house before you have the baby, you know, all these things. And um, we did it. And I went into labor three weeks early because of it. But, you know, we did it. And um, it's just something about having kids, right? I mean, it just totally rocks your world or it rocked mine. I mean, it totally made me realize that I wasn't in control Maybe possibly God had something planned and he was in control above me. Um, and that's really when things started to change for me. I, um, I I never thought I wanted to stay at home, but all of a sudden I had this really desire to just be at home. Um, I, um, I had this desire to make everything perfect with him. I mean, like if there was a book to read, I read it. If there was a schedule to do, I did it. Like I you know, pushed Kelly away in the process because I thought I was the only one that could do it right. I mean, like I was given the gift of God to be able to take care of this baby, nobody else. Um, and, and that's just kind of how it was. So I just still was filling this hole with this perfection need. Um, and then when Patrick was six months old, we found out that we were expecting my daughter, Elise. And of course, looking back now, like I cannot possibly imagine my life without that precious girl. But at the time, it was the first time that God threw me something that I totally wasn't expecting. Like, this was not the plan, God. Like, maybe two years, possibly three. I mean, my sister and I are four years apart. That sounds great. Um, but that's where we were. And I can't remember. It's just crazy to even think about it now. But it just sent me into a spiral because it was the first thing that had happened to me that was totally not my plan and was not in my control at all. Throw in a few, you know, postpartum 
hormonal imbalances and it was it was not a pretty sight um but we got through it and Elise was born they're 13 months apart two grades apart but 13 months apart and um of course once she was born like I mean, immediately fell in love with this sweet, sweet, precious girl. Um, but I just, I just couldn't do it. Like I could not keep the perfection. Like the cracks were starting to happen underneath the surface, and I tried to make it look good, and I tried to make sure it, you know everyone thought that it was a perfect world, but like it totally wasn't. It was cracking, and um, I just started having to let go of stuff because I just couldn't. And um, you know, God was really preparing us for what was to come um, the next summer. So, you know, he had been building the foundation all along. Like when you think about what's the turning point that changed your relationship with him, for me that's hard because it's just such a gradual process. I mean, he had us, you know, in this amazing small group that are here that was just showing us grace and what that looked like and um, in church and all these ways that he was building the foundation but in the summer of 2009, Patrick was two, Elise was one. Um, they were almost two and three. And um, we, they had never been away from us. I mean, who wants to take two little babies, right? Um, <laughs> but my mother-in-law, who lives in Auburn, was going to be helping at Vacation Bible School. And she's like, he's not quite old enough, but I think we can slip him in. Why don't you let him come down for Vacation Bible School? And I was like, okay, sounds good. So he went, and my mom said, you know what, Stacy? why don't you let me take Elise? Um, and... That'll give you guys some time. Like you guys need, you just need some time. Clearly, clearly you're not okay. You need some time. And um, and you know, as I you know, as I share what's coming, like it's just amazing how every single detail. Like even though I was not spending time with him, I was not praying to him every day. I was not reading his word. Um, every detail. Like even though he allowed the things to happen that that are about to come. He, he took care of every detail for us. So um, the plan was that we were going to work Monday through Wednesday, and um, then we were taking off Thursday and Friday, and you know we were going to clean out the basement, and we were going to do all the things that we were supposed to do, and really, I just wanted to sleep. Um, so Wednesday night, um, we went out to dinner, and I might have had a glass or two of wine. And we came home, and earlier in the week, he had told... So I'm sorry, this is probably like TMI for a lot of people, but um, just bear with me. So... Um, He's probably thrilled that I'm telling this story too. But anyways, um, so earlier in the week, he had felt a bump or a lump on his testicles. And um, he had kind of mentioned it to me, and I was kind of like, I, I mean, I don't have any of those. Like, I don't. <laughs> You're on your own for this one. Um, and so Thursday morning, I'd woken up and had a little bit of a headache and gone to get a drink of water and some ibuprofen probably. And I was laying on the couch, and he came in, and he said, Stacy. Remember when I told you about that bump that I felt like a few days ago? I was like, yeah. And he was like, I mean, it is like, like the whole, it's, it's taken over. Like it is rock solid. It, it's not, something's not right. And, um, I was like, okay. And so, um, one of my dermatologists that I had called on had her husband, I knew was a urologist. And so I called her office and they immediately, you know, got us in touch with him and he had a, you know, 10 AM appointment in the urology office. And so I was like, I'll get in the shower and I'll meet you there. Well, by the time I'd met him there, um, Dr. Hamrick had walked him over to ultrasound. It was during lunch, and he sat there with him while they did the ultrasound. Uh, he knew. He knew that it wasn't normal for that to grow that quickly. Um, and so as we're sitting there and and talking, um, he's like, you know, I, I, it, I'm pretty sure it's cancerous. Like, regardless, it needs to come out, but, I mean, it's it's cancer. 
Um, it doesn't look good. It's growing really, really quickly. And I'd really like to get this out quickly. And I was like, well, okay. And he was like, can y'all come in tomorrow morning? And I was like, well, as a matter of fact, we can. We don't have any kids at home right now. And um, I remember him saying, you know, you probably won't be able to have children after this. Um, so we can wait. Like, if you want to go and make preparations for later on, um, we can wait till Monday. And we both looked at each other and we're like, we have a one-year-old and a two-year-old. I think we're good. We're at capacity here. <laughs> Let's just get the surgery done. In the back of my mind, I was like, mm, an adoption, right? <laughs> That's my plan. Um, and so that, you know, we went ahead and went to pre-op, and um, they did, they went ahead and did a lung x-ray. I guess that was just standard procedure and all the blood work. And um, that night, we got home, and at 530, Dr. Hamrick called us and said, um, we found nodules in his lungs. So, Clearly, it's progressed, and um, I want you to come in in the morning for, um, I guess, a cat scan, I don't know, whatever those things, a pet scan, um, to be able to see where else it is, because I kind of want to know what I'm going into before I go into the surgery. And we said, okay. So we went in the morning, and we had the, the pet scan done, and um, went into surgery, and by the time he came out of surgery, he said, it spread to his lymph nodes, too. Um, it's clearly a very fast-growing cancer. Um, we don't really know what it is until pathology comes back, but um, I have, you know, I went ahead and made you an appointment for Tuesday with an oncologist. So we're like, okay. And so I remember that weekend, you know, the kids came home, and I just remember not having a plan was the hardest part. Like, I am a worker bee. <laughs> you give me that bullet point list, and I can, I can get to work. Um, but just not knowing, like not knowing where it was or what it was or um, or what we were going to do about it. Um, but I kept going. I mean, we, you know, went to work on Monday, went to work on Tuesday, and I was having lunch with one of my dermatologists, and she was like, now hold on, what's going on? And I was like, you know, clearly she could see that I just wasn't, I wasn't all there. And um, God bless her. She wrote, I was like, I just haven't been sleeping a lot lately. She's like, nobody's given you Ambien yet? <laughs> Never taken Ambien before. She wrote me a prescription right there. Um, so I'm telling you, people taking care of me every step of the way. Um, and so we went to um, the oncology appointment on Tuesday. And um, I, we, we, we just didn't know. I mean, we didn't know what to expect. But it scared us to death. Um, you know, it was choriocarcinoma, which is like, I don't know, 0.01% of all testicular cancers. Um, it's um, the cancer that um, Lance Armstrong had that went to his brain. And so it's a fast-growing cancer because it spreads both through the lymph system and through the, through the blood, through blood at the same time. And so that's why it had gone to the lymph nodes and the lungs at the same time. Usually it wouldn't split in those two directions so quickly. Um, but it's also one that travels into the brain very quickly. And so we... Um, you know, then it was, okay, well, is it in the brain or is it not? Because I don't know anything about cancer, but that sounds like that's probably not a good thing. Um, and so we went through the battery of tests and um, still didn't really know. I'm waiting for everything to come back. Um, that was on Tuesday. Thursday night, he woke up in the middle of the night and he couldn't breathe. And I'm, I'm y'all, I'm exhausted at this point. I'm just exhausted. And I was like, I'm sure it's just anxiety. I bet you're having a panic attack. Like, do you need some Ambien? I think I've got some of that now. <laughs> And he's like, Stacy, I can't breathe. I can't sit up. And so it was like one or two in the morning. And, you know, looking back now, this was crazy. Looking back now, we should have called an ambulance. Looking back now, I should have at least called a neighbor to come sit with the kids. But, you know, I was in the I can handle everything mode. 
So what did I do but grab my two kids, my one-year-old and my two-year-old, threw them in their car seats, helped him down the stairs, and drove to St. Vincent's at 2 o'clock in the morning because it was just a panic attack. We were going to be home in just a little bit, um, and it wasn't. And so we sat there for a few hours. They couldn't really figure out what it was. Um, the ER doctor had no idea. Um, and so finally at like 4.30, I came home, and the kids just, you know, they were hungry. They had no stacks. They had no shoes. So this time, so I brought them home and left him there, and um He'll say that's the scariest part for him because that was when he was really, he just didn't know if he was going to make it out of there. And that's when he was praying for us and that we would be taken care of. Um, And that's when he, you know, came to terms with, if I don't make it through this, it's okay. Like, God's got them. You know, his purpose is greater than mine. And so he came to it a lot faster than I did. Um, but we went to, I ended up going back to the hospital the next day. The, the oncologist found it was one of his, um, one of the nodules on his lungs because it was a very a bloody cancer, if nothing else, because it travels through the blood, it burst. And so it had filled just his whole pleural space up with blood. And so we went into surgery on Friday morning and they took all that out. And then because it was growing so quickly, they wanted us to start him to start chemo um, first thing Monday morning. And so it just all happened. I mean, like all of that was like, a week and two days. It was so fast. And I'm glad it was because, um, you know, obviously we were in the right place at the right time and being taken care of. But there just wasn't a whole lot of time for like introspection or thinking things through. And so we went on the progress and we just kind of, you know, we became, it was just a do this, do that. It was the bullet point. It was what was comfortable for me. Um, and we, you know, we went through three, we, I keep saying we, like I took any of the chemotherapy. Um, you know, we had just family come up. I mean, people I was working full-time and so um, his chemotherapy he had to be at St. Vincent's from like eight in the morning to like four and go all day long and then he did that for a full week and then he'd come back the next week and go for two days and come back the next week and go for a day and then he'd start back all over again with the full week again and we did three cycles of that Um, and I mean just the way that people ministered to me I mean we you know had been going to church at the advent but literally like just showing up and then leaving people that I didn't even know were bringing us dinner um people started mowing our lawn his all of his college friends got together that were in Birmingham and like took days to come mow our grass and y'all we live in Vestavia on a big old hill like it's not easy um just in ways that I couldn't even imagine. I mean, my aunt would come up and spend a whole week with us. His mom came up and would drive him to to therapy. And so we just just kind of kept going. And towards the end of therapy, um, I need to speed this up. Towards the end of therapy, we... um, of chemotherapy, we, um, we, you know, his, his level started bottoming out, which was good. And he was quote unquote in remission, but you know, you just can't always have this, like, sometimes you have this feeling in the back of your head that like, maybe you're just not quite done with this yet. And so I just kind of always had that. And, um, he was clear for six months. And then the following March, um, we received the news that he had, that he had relapsed and his levels were growing fast. And so, we knew at that point that we had to do something different. And his oncologist, who I think was always a little bit afraid of me, like I would come in every once in a while, he'd be like, oh, you brought her with you today. <laughs> what kind of questions does she have for me? And so we went in and he said, I've already called, um, you know, he called him the Pope of testicular cancer, Dr. Einhorn in Indianapolis. He treated Lance Armstrong and um, he had like made all the protocols basically of treating testicular cancer. And so off we go to, to Indianapolis. And the plan now is to do high-dose chemo with a stem cell, stem cell transplant. So they harvested his stem cells before we went, and then they had, or when we went out there first, then we came back home. 
And then he would go out there and receive so much chemo that his body plummeted, like couldn't, he could not live without his stem cells coming back in to, to build him back up. And so we would go through that twice. And um, when I started like getting ready to talk about this, I went back and I found our Caring Bridge site and I started reading it. And the transition from the beginning to the end was so eye-opening to me. Um, you know, in the beginning, I was all, you know, just bullet points. This is what has to be done. All, you know, to-do lists. And um, the second time, like God had just, during that time, he had just taken me down so many levels. I mean, he just showed me that I wasn't in charge and that I didn't have anything else but him. Um, you know, the dishes certainly didn't matter if they were there first thing in the morning Kids are great with clean clothes, but truly, they're going to survive if they don't have them. Um, really, boys and girls don't need to wear matching outfits all the time. Like, I kind of thought they did up to that point. They don't. Um, and he just, he just opened my eyes to so many things in so many ways that I was not following him. And I think, you know, as I said, just that whole, that he wasn't filling, I was filling it myself. And I was looking to everyone around me and everything material in this world to fill it. And it doesn't. So you just constantly have to be more perfect and do more and take on more. And, um, and that, that's what he stripped away during that time for me. So as hard, much harder as the second round was and as much more scary as it was, there was just a piece about us that we didn't have before. And um, we just went into it with totally different eyes. Um, and so I have two things from the Caring Bridge site that I want to read you because it just, it made me realize the difference that he had done in that time. So this was one of the first ones that I did. And I had just, it was after the first oncology appointment, I had just like bullet pointed all this stuff, like it could be in his brain, we don't know, blah, 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 blah. And I think I pretty much scared all of our friends to death. But I said, I'm sure that this sounds harsh, but we honestly feel better than we have all week. Tough to hear, yes, but we are thankful to finally have a plan and know more about what to expect over the next three months. This makes me, it just breaks my heart to read this. But I know that people always say that they can feel the prayers of others. And honestly, I've always thought that was just a line or a way of saying thank you. But it is true. I have felt all of your prayers today. I've been able to approach today's appointment with a calm quietness that is quite unlike me. Thank you all for that. And to think about what prayers mean to me now and to what they meant to me then. Like a line or a way of saying thank you. Like that just, but that just shows you that's where I was. Um, and then towards the end of the relapse, um, we are so close to the end of this battle. And sometimes it is hard for me to believe that. I have found myself falling into let's just buckle down and get it done mentality, but I'm trying not to think that way. I'm trying to remember that there are still lessons to learn and opportunities to minister here. Please help me pray for God's help with this. So he took that. I mean, he took my self-righteousness, my I've got it all under control, my I, if you, I just need you for a bullet point, but nothing else, and just made us completely and totally rely on him. And so Kelly went through chemotherapy, through that high-dose chemo, and came out. It was the hardest thing you could ever imagine. But he did, through God's help. We both did. We went back and forth. I spent a week in Indianapolis while mom took care of the kids. And then Kelly's mom would fly out there. We'd 
you know, switch each other at the airport. I'd come home and work and take care of the kids. I mean, but we did it. And, um, and at the end of it, we were absolutely different people than we were when we started. But I don't know if you know anyone who's gone through hard times or gone through a struggle or a sickness. Um, for us, at least, it was, it was the quiet after the storm that was really the hardest part. Um, you know, during it, like the adrenaline's going, there's tons of help there. Um, it's just, that's just my mentality. You've got to get it done. But afterwards, when kind of everyone's gone and the storm's gone through, um, you know, financially his business had just stopped during that time. Um, I had kept working by the grace of God. Um, but it just, it, it was during that time that the hardest parts for us really came. Um, I was laid off from my job a few months later. And there was so much uncertainty. And there was a time that that would have just broken me. But we were, I can just remember sitting up with him at night and just, okay, God's here. Where is he? We got to find him. Like he's here. And what he led us through during that time is something that I could have never, ever done by myself. Um, And that he loved me enough to break me so that then I could see that. Like to me, that's the biggest gift. Um, so when I think about like what, you know, how that's changed us, like I would love to say that, you know, every night we're like, okay, today, let's find God in today because it was a bad day, but there's God somewhere. You know, that's not my tendency. <laughs> my tendency is still to barrel through and to try to do it all by myself. Um, but there's glimpses when he shows me that he's really has changed me, that he's redeemed me. Um, the Caring Bridge, those two, you know, reading those two, just the difference between those two were just an eye-opener to me. Um, the ability to just look at where my time spent. You know, once once I wasn't working full-time, you know, then I was like, well, I'm going to do all the things that I couldn't do when I was working full-time. So I'm going to volunteer for this, and I'm going to do that. And yes, 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 absolutely, yes. Um, and so then I just was filling the whole of him with the need to do things and the need to, to help other people, which is great, but it was just crazy. Um, but I read this book called The Best Yes with Lisa T- by Lisa Tierkis. I don't know if anyone's ever read it, but it was such an eye-opener for me. And um, it made me realize that I was saying yes to so many things so that I didn't have to say yes to the things that really scared me. Because if you're, if you're completely full, if your plate's completely full and you have no time for anything, when things that, that you feel God nudging you to do that you're so scared to do— like this. Um, You just don't have time to do it. And it's so much easier to say no. And so he made me really realize and be able to hear the things that I was supposed to say yes to and the things that I wasn't. Um, And he helped me learn to say no, which was a huge part of me letting go of the people pleasing mentality. Um, But he made me realize that for me, at least, um, the things that he places on my heart that make me really nervous and scared and that make me start thinking of the failure mentality, like, you can't do that. You don't know how to do that. That's that's what he wants me to do the most. And so um, I kind of made a deal with myself and with him, which is where the yes to you came in, um, that, if any, that if I was ever asked to do anything that scared me to death and that I thought that there was no way I could possibly do, that I had to say yes. And I can't tell you how many times I've been like, really? Really? This? Um, and so I just, for me, like that's where he grows me is when I don't feel like I can do it. Like if I think I can handle it, I don't need him. But in those times where 
I don't think I can do it. And there's times where there's no way I can possibly get through this. That's when he shows up the most for me. Um, And I think for me, it's just been a long process. It's, you know, I can remember um, growing up in high school and in college, and both times I had um, a friend in both of those times that just just exuded that peace. Like, do you have those people? Like, you're just you just want to be around them because like they may make bad choices, may, they may not be perfect, but like they just always have that calmness. And if y'all know me, like that's not me. Um, but I always was drawn to that, and um, and I remember praying for it. Like I would just pray over and over. Like you know, once I come, we kind of got through that. I would pray, you know, let me be the clay, you be the potter, turn me into whatever you want me to be. Um, less of me, more of you, like those prayers just over and over and over again. But like, I didn't feel it. Like it just was like, okay, I prayed it. Like, where is it? Like, I want that peace. And it was, for me at least, not something that ever came like, you know, you say the prayer and here it is, snap. Um, But it was something that would slowly ease in over time. And then I could look back and say, oh yeah, like I felt him there. Oh yeah, that was him. That wasn't me. Um, and so those prayers, you know, gratefully, by the grace of God, it's just the belief that saves us and redeems us. Like, we don't have to do anything to earn that. But it's working on that relationship that gives us or gives me that peace. Um, it's spending time with him. It's, I am not a morning person. Like, you're a morning person. You are a morning person. <laughs> not a morning person. Um but last January, my mom goes to the Church of the Highlands, and she, they do the 20 day, 21 days of prayer. He's, he's at the Church of the Highlands. I know we have Church of the Highlands people in here. Um, so last January, I made you know, the commitment that I was going to do my best to do that. And during that time, that, that just, like, I now, if I don't wake up at least 15 minutes before my kids, like, I'm not the same person. Um, I crave that. And that, as much as I despise actually getting out of bed for it, I crave it and I need it. Um, and just listening to, to sermons and to podcasts, um, you know, it's just, it's always such a gradual thing. But one of the things that I remember so much, we were talking about this. Um, so I told y'all that I was just kind of drawn to storytellers. Like there's just something about it, the vulnerability. You know, he's used so many people's stories to help me work through everything that I've worked through over the past year, year and a half. Um, but y'all remember the adoption thing in my head? Like, you know, that was my plan, right? And and it's just never, it's just never happened. Like it's just never, like some of, some of my best friends probably didn't even know that about me. Like it's always been there, but it's just never happened. Um, it's just never been the right time. Either I was working too hard or, you know, it's just never was the right time. And so um, I was listening to Paige's story. Um, I was here and listening. Um, and when I looked this morning to figure out when it was, it was, it was a year ago. It was last, it was the last, fe- the last Friday of February, um, which is crazy. But so I had always come with Lisa, like, you know, what is it about girls? Like we always don't have a friend when we go places like that, you know, security blanket. And so that day she couldn't come and Rebecca, you couldn't come. And so I just decided to come. Like, I just felt like I was supposed to come. And y'all, I sat right back there and I cried listening to her story, just I mean, embarrassed, ugly cry. Like, people were handing me tissues. And I'm like, yeah, I know. It's her story, not mine. Like, this is embarrassing. This is why you always come with a friend. (laughs) Um, 
And I just beelined it out of here quick as I possibly could because I was like, I mean, I just, I need to, Robin's like, do you, I mean, you know, do you want prayers? No, I just, I just need to get out. <laughs> I need to, to, to salvage this as much as I possibly can. And I got in the car and I was so mad at God because Paige's story was that she was, you know, scared of it or nervous of it and, and you know, resisted it for so long. And I was just so angry. I was like, God, I'm not scared. I'm ready. Like, I don't understand. Like, I'm ready. And just as clear as day, out there in your street, I heard him say to you, I know you're ready, but I'm not. I'm not. And there was something about that that just let me let it go. And I don't know if that will ever be part of my story. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just something I conjured up in my head when I was 20. Who knows? Um, But I know that if it is, when it's time, he'll place it there and we'll be ready and we'll say yes. Um, And I know that from what Kelly and I have gone through, we're at a place now that we'll sit down and be able to pray through it and decide if it's the right time and it won't be just on me to decide. Um, and I'm just so thankful for the way the Holy Spirit works and, and that he works in rooms like this all across everywhere in the hearts of believers. Um, and so a couple of months ago, I, find, I mean, I told you I went through like the podcast, like I've listened to every single one of them at least once, but I had never listened to Paige. So I mean, like I was just scared, like, oh my gosh, I'm going to break down again. And I listened to it, and it was the most beautiful story, and it was sweet, and I loved it, but it didn't break my heart the way that it did, because he had healed that for me, and he had taken that away from me. And um, and that's how it is with everything. I mean, you know, so many things in this life, like, we try so hard, and there's so many things that we want for our families, and goals and dreams. I'm like, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, he places those in our hearts for a reason. But for me, I know it becomes a problem when I start holding on to it so tightly that I can feel it in my in my shoulders. I can feel it in my head. I can feel it in my stomach. And then it becomes my true north. Like it becomes what I'm, what I'm focusing every bit of my being on instead of him. And so then it's not his goal. It's not his dream. It's not his thing for us, but it's, it becomes our idol really. And it becomes what, what we're searching for more than him. And so I guess two weeks ago, I can't tell you how many times I almost called you and said, yeah, this is just not a good time. It's like every time you plan something like this, like it's just stuff starts happening. Right. And so, um, about two weeks ago, maybe two and a half weeks ago, my sister, Um, had gone to a dermatologist to check a mole because a friend of mine had just been diagnosed with melanoma. And so that led us to get her into the dermatologist and it came back as melanoma. And um, it came back as a pretty serious, I mean, there's, there's different types of melanoma. Like I didn't know that. Um, And so of course, you know, here we go again, like a fast growing melanoma, one that kind of goes under the radar until it's a little too late. And of course, what do you do? I mean, what do I do? I go to Google, like I'm a doctor, right? I mean, I've read enough like Google documents to become a doctor, I think. Um, And I just you know, it just all came back, just the weight of it on my shoulders. You know, I'm the caretaker. I'm the one in the family that that loves to read all that stuff and that gets all the information and finds out which the best doctor we need to go to. Like, that's just always been my role. And um, it all, I mean, to the point where I was nauseous, to the point where, like, I got in that, I turned on my hair dryer. Okay, well, I won't, okay, anyway, I turned on my hair dryer before I got in the shower. I, I, I put a mask on, and it wasn't drying fast enough, and I was running late, and so I was trying to dry it. Anyway, you, you understand. Okay, so um, I was in the shower, and I was like, what's that noise? Like, the hair dryer was still on while I was in the shower. Like, stupid stuff that I kept doing, and it was just the stress. It was just the stress, and it was so foreign to me. 
Um, and I started praying through it, and you know, God kept reminding me and bringing me to His Word. Thankfully, and it just was an op- eye opener for me because that stress that I was feeling, like I used to feel that all the time, like every day, like that was me, like that was who I was, that was how I, how I worked, how I lived, um, and it was so foreign to me that it just totally sent my body into shock. And it made me realize how much now I'm able to rely on him and how much that takes off of me. Um, and it just, it made me so grateful and thankful for the work that he's done. And, um, you know, back to the beginning, when I said you know, it's a work in progress, it absolutely is. But until I really sat down to look through all of this, like I didn't even realize how far he had taken me. I can't remember the last time I read those Caring Bridge, you know, posts or really thought about who I was before this journey. Um, and so I'm grateful to you for making me sit down and um, and going through it and just seeing how far he's come. Um, so my Bible verse is. Um, you know, I should know it by heart, but is Isaiah 55, 9. Um, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so, you know, when we don't know, when we can't plan it all out, when we can't be the person that we think we're supposed to be, he's got it. He's got it. He knows. He knows. And he knows exactly where we are. He knows exactly what we need. Um, Everything that he's putting us through and everything that we're going through and everything, you know, we we try to be perfect for him, but we live in a fallen world like we can't. But how amazing is it that we know that everything that's happening to us, he has a plan for and he's redeeming us through it. Um, And so we don't have to understand it. Like we don't have to, you know, know what we're going through or understand why we're going through it because he's got it. Um, and he's in charge and his goodness, his will for our lives is always better than anything we could ever imagine us to be. Wow. Well, there's your closing. What can I add to that? The only thing I'll say is just to point out, this is the second story in several weeks where our storyteller has talked about craving time with God and craving his word, especially early in the morning before they jump into the busyness of life. And it just goes to show that God meets us where we are. And when we experience Him and we make Him our first priority, we can't imagine going through a day without Him. We'll be back next week with another new episode. And in the meantime, you can find us on social media. We're at Storytellers Live. You can also find more information on our website, which is storytellerslive.org. Um, And we'd love to hear from you. So you can find our contact information on there. And if you get a chance to rate and review our podcast on iTunes, that would be so amazing because all of those reviews help the podcast increase its presence and its reach on iTunes. Um, So we're always grateful for those reviews and um, obviously for sharing the podcast with so many people. Thank you. We love seeing what God's doing. So we appreciate you listening to Stacey's story today, and we hope that you'll join us again soon. 